Well, hi there, microbiology people. This is Dr. B talking microbiology, and today's topic is the cell, which is the basic unit of life, and we are going to talk briefly about it before moving on to the characteristics of prokaryotic versus eukaryotic cells, and then each or many of the specific structures for each kind of cell. This is a long, uh, complicated, and also essential chapter to understand microbiology, so we are probably going to take probably two or maybe even three episodes to, um, to cover this material. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the history of how we know that or how we learn the, of the importance of cells, you know, base, again, being the basic units of life. A lot of it had to do with um, experiments to disprove what's called the um, spontaneous generation theory, which, which meant that, you know, life can just arise because of the presence of a vital heat or a vital spirit that was disproved categorically by... Uh, our old friend Louis Pasteur, we mentioned him as, you know, a, a very important microbiologist in that golden era of microbiology in the 1800s. In parallel to that, um, with better microscopes, scientists were looking at, you know, all kinds of samples, and they saw that everywhere they looked that was alive, plants, or animals, they would find cells. And they, you know, basically it was um, proposed that cells were necessary for life and all cells would come from cells. And eventually with the, uh, again, even better microscopes, they could see inside the cell and they would discover uh, mostly in eukaryotic cells, the uh, existence of smaller structures called organelles, uh, which is basically a word for small organs. So again, what is the cell theories? Um, statement is that cells are the basic unit of life and all cells come from other cells. So without further ado, let's talk about cells. And the first thing to know about cells is that they are a little bit like cars in the sense that a generic, you can talk about the generic car and cars will have, you know, those important parts that all cars have, let's say like an engine or a steering wheel. But depending on the function of the car or the type of the car, you're going to have very, uh, you know, differences between them, and usually those differences are going to correspond to whatever they are doing. You know, think about a, a sports car versus a, a semi. You know, the way they look, their, their structure very closely corresponds to their function. And the same way, um, you know, cells will have a structure that will closely align to the function they do. And the easiest way to see this, if you think about a complex organism like animals, think humans, you know, nerve cells, red blood cells, white blood cells, bone cells, muscle cells, they look very different because their structure is going to support the function they do. Now, again, there are generic 
kind of descriptions of cells and we are going to find many common components. Regarding cells, there are two main kinds of cells, prokaryotic and eukaryotic cells. And in this chapter, we're actually going to spend more time with prokaryotic cells because two major groups of microorganisms, which are bacteria and archaea, are prokaryotic cells. And usually you don't really study prokaryotic cells very much until you get to microbiology. They may be mentioned in a general biology course, but if you're taking, let's say, anatomy physiology, you will learn a lot about eukaryotic cells and tissues. So what are prokaryotic cells? These are the first cells that appeared on Earth. They tend to be smaller and simpler. And the definition of a prokaryotic cell is what they don't have. They don't have a nucleus. They don't have internal membrane-bound organelles. Prokaryotic cells have plasma membrane and they have ribosomes, which ribosomes are structures that um, that's where protein synthesis takes place. Um, most prokaryotes also have outside that plasma membrane something called the cell wall. So that's an, an extra layer outside. Now, the DNA, uh, the oxyribonucleic acid, which we will see more in detail later, is the molecule that contains the genetic information or all living organisms. In prokaryotes, the DNA is inside the cell in what we call, you know, the cytoplasm of the cell, which is kind of the filler of the cell in a region called the nucleoid, ending in D, uh, region. The DNA in eukaryotic cells is in the nucleus. So that is one of the large um, organelles that um, uh, eukaryotic cells have. And uh, I already mentioned that prokaryotes in general tend to be much smaller, 10 times smaller than eukaryotes. And what it means is two things. One is that if you calculate their surface to volume ratio, it's much higher. And surface to volume ratio is very important to consider, you know, what comes in and out the cell. If you have a high surface, you can move nutrients in and waste products out very quickly because you have more area, you know, to move transport stuff across. So because of that, prokaryotes tend to grow much faster than eukaryotes. And this is something that gets really uh, astounding when you look, for example, at bacteria such as E. coli. Um, Probably somewhere in your lecture slide, there is a comparison slide uh, between prokaryotes and eukaryotes. So you can look at some of the things I already mentioned that they have, you know, they don't have a nucleus. They have um, additional structures outside, such as the cell wall, although some eukaryotic cells can have also cell wall. And another important difference is how the DNA looks like. The DNA in eukaryotes, think like ourselves, it's in paired chromosomes in the nucleus, and in the case of prokaryotes, is one circular chromosome. And again, it's not in the nucleus, it is in, the, in a region called the nucleoid region. Now, um, 
Prokaryotes, again, they are bacteria and archaea. Remember the three domain system we have bacteria, archaea, eukarya, and then bacteria and archaea are the prokaryotes. How do prokaryotic cells look like? And this is easier if you can look at the picture, so I will try to make a, a picture with my words. So the shape of prokaryotic cells, and I'm mostly thinking bacteria now, can be um, round, and this is what we call a caucus. And the plural of caucus has cocci. Think staphylococcus, staphylococci. So these are round bacteria. They can also be long rod shaped bacteria, and this is what we call a bacillus, plural bacilli. Then they can be what we call a curved rod, and these we call vibrio. Example, vibrio cholera is a vibrio, a curved rod. Now, microbiologists then have this thing about naming some stuff in a very confusing way. So there are certain bacteria that are rods but are very short. It's almost like you, you are not sure if it's a caucus or a, of a bacillus. So they decided to call that cocobacillus. Okay, so a very short rod, so short that you are not sure if it's round or, uh, or a rod, that's called cocobacillus. Then we have spiral bacteria. And there are two versions of the spirally bacteria. Um, some are called just spiral, and those are what we call spirillum in singular and spirillum in plural. And then there are a little bit longer and more spirally spirals. They look a little bit like corkscrew. The official definition is long, loose, helical, helical spiral. And those would be spirochetes. And, you know, it's going to make more sense when, you, when we put examples and names of, of what they are. But these are the major uh, shapes. There are some funky shapes like star-shaped or, you know, square bacteria out there. But these that I mentioned are the most common. Um, so now those uh, shaped, uh, different shaped bacteria can also have different arrangements. And now we are going to introduce some more words. So round bacteria, caucus. If they are single, they are just called caucus. Remember, caucus, cocci. If they are doubles, so you have two caucus together, that's called diplococcus, diplococci. If they are fours, and some of them can look really cute, you know, four uh, little balls together, they are called tetrads. They can be in chains, and chains of cocci is called streptococcus. Now that may sound familiar. Strep, strep throat, indeed. Streptococci, um, many of them causing a lot of nasty diseases, nasty infections, are indeed cocci in chain. And the cocci can also be in grape-like clusters. And those we call staphylococci. So indeed, staph, which is very common on, uh, on your skin, and also staphylococcus aureus, which is, um, can be quite nasty if you 
familiar with the letters MRSA, MRSA, which is methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, that is a Staphylococcus, so that means that they are grape-like clusters. So these are words that you want to start practicing because, again, it's going to make your life easier. If you hear the word streptos something, you know that it's some bacteria in chains. Good news is that bacilli are much simpler. They are either single rods, sometimes you are going to see them in pairs, diplobacilli, and sometimes you see them in chains, which then they are called correct streptobacilli. And that's it. Those um, vibrios and spirochete and spiral, they are singles. So your arrangement, you have to focus mostly on cocci and bacilli. Let's delve now into the structure of the bacterial cell. And uh, as we described the cell, we said we had a plasma membrane inside. It's you know there are cytoplasm and ribosomes, and then outside it may have a cell wall. So that sounds pretty simple. And indeed, prokaryotic cells are quite simple inside. Where the complications come are in the structures outside. So we already mentioned the cell wall, but there are also additional uh, projections, they are called, so it's kind of hairs that can be short, or they can have a long um, projection called a flagellum. So we are going to start from the inside and we are going to move outside. Uh, looking at the cytoplasm, again, there is not much going on. There is a region called the nucleoid region, and that's where the DNA is. So it's not in the nucleus. It's in, there is no nucleus in prokaryotic cell. It's in the nucleoid region. And remember that the DNA of bacteria prokaryotes is one circular DNA molecule. So chromosomes, you can you know, imagine them or think about them as DNA molecules. And in the case of prokaryotes, you have, have only one, and it's circular. And it's often called the um, bacterial chromosome. But not to be confused with the chromosomes of eukaryotes, which are many more, um, and they are linear, not circular. The bacterial chromosome, however, is not the only DNA that is present in bacteria. Besides this large uh, circular DNA molecule, you will find smaller, also circular, but much smaller DNA molecules called plasmids. And these plasmids are um, independent of the bacterial chromosome of the large circular bacterial DNA molecule, they carry non-essential information. What does this mean? For the bacteria to survive, it requires information that is in the large bacterial chromosome, in that large circular molecule. The plasmid have additional information in them, and I call them non-essential because they are non-essential for survival, but they come handy. They are useful. 
what kind of information is in the plasmids, for example, antibiotic resistance. So all the superbugs you hear about that they carry resistance against this antibiotic and that other antibiotic, that's information that is carried in this small uh, DNA molecules. How many they are, there can be a few or there can be many. You know, it really depends. And the most uh, scary part of, of this is that these plasmids can be transferred between bacteria. They can ex exchange that useful information, such as antibiotic resistance, between each other. So this is something we are going to learn in the genetics chapter. Um, ribosomes are structures that exist in both prokaryotes and eukaryotes because these are critical structure. This is where the making of proteins happens. This is the site of protein synthesis. Um, they are made of a mixture of protein and RNA. So RNA is a nucleic acid, ribonucleic acid, and there's a version or a type of RNA called ribosomal RNA or RNA. So that's what makes ribosomes up. Now, if you look at the structure, it has this, um, it looks like the, the head of a mushroom and then this little base. It has two subunits, a large subunit and a small subunit. And you define them by the density. So the larger one is called the 50S and the smaller is the 30S. The S means sedimentation rate. And when you put them together, and don't ask me, this is not a math thing. This is just how it works. The uh, prokaryotic ribosome is called 70S. Why is this important? When you compare prokaryotic ribosomes to eukaryotic ribosomes, you will find that eukaryotic ribosomes are different. They are actually larger and more dense. Eukaryotic ribosomes are 80S versus prokaryotic ribosome, which are 70S. And this will come extremely handy when we learn about how sulfur drugs work. Basically, all antibiotics that have a sulfur in their name, they will target. They are able to attack, inhibit, or somehow interfere with the fu function of prokaryotic slash bacterial ribosomes, but not those of eukaryotic cells, meaning that is not going to affect us. It's only going to affect the bacteria. Other things that you can find in the, inside the cell is what we call inclusions. So they, they are basically groups of things, of materials, and some of them are nutrients. For example, bacteria or prokaryotes may accumulate glycogen or starches of inorganic compounds of fat or sulfur granules, etc. So it's a way to store nutrients. Others are useful inclusions, for example, those prokaryotes that live in aquatic environments, so they are in water, they may have little vacuoli uh, with gas in them, so that allows them to, to float. Or some bacteria may have little magnets 
inside. So again, there, there are different inclusions and some of them are for uh, storing nutrients and other may have varied uses. I have to talk now about endospores. And endospores are um, structures that are not normally present in prokaryotic cells. They are produced by certain bacteria groups when the going gets tough. What do I mean by that? Um, let's say that a bacterium is in an environment where there is no food. There was food, but now the food is gone, which means that the bacterium is going to die. So when the environmental conditions are not uh, you know, good, especially when there is no, not enough nutrients available, then certain mechanisms get activated in some bacteria, and they will uh, basically create a survival capsule. So what they do is that they take your DNA, a bunch of you know, essential proteins, they package them, they put you know, them in a structure, they create a structure that has a lot of protective layers, and this is what's called an endospore. And endo means that they are produced inside the cells. So we see a bacterium and then inside and you will see this little, you know, sometimes it's round, sometimes more like a small rod, like a little capsule. And then the cell around them disintegrates. And these spores can then survive long, long long time. And when I say long, you know, they have found endospores of bacteria in pyramids, you know, pharaohs. Thousands of years ago, they put them in a lab and eventually they were able to grow them. They can survive being dry. They can, again, they are extremely resistant. So who can make endospores? There are two groups and the right word is genus, genera but two microbial bacteria groups that can make endospores in these are Bacillus and Clostridium. And um, so this is something that only happens in those groups. Not all of them make endospores, but a lot of them do. The implication of these are manifold. For example, I just was just saying that they can survive being dried out. Well, um, anthrax, which is caused by Bacillus anthracis, which is spore former. So anthrax spores have been used as bioterror agents, you know, that those envelopes send that they have a powder inside, it could be endospores. So that's why you need to, to call people, you know, hazmat suits and all that if something like that appears. Other thing is C. diff. For example, you may have heard about C. diff infection. That's a used to be called Clostridium, now it's Clostridioides, but it's a spore-forming bacterium. Um, the spores are extremely difficult to, to kill. So for that reason, if there is a, you know, in a hospital environment that you have a spore-former around, the disinfection, um, you know, methods used have to be much harsher. You know, the agents used and the methods have to consider that this is a spore forming and that's, that's why it's much harder to kill. Now, I was saying that 
endospores are formed when you know, the, the going gets tough, so there is no, not enough food around. That process is called sporulation. Okay, so this is where the, uh, the spore form inside the cell. Um, the DNA is packaged inside, and then once it, uh, it's ready, then the cell disintegrates. So the cell does not survive the creation of the endospore. You know, it dies, and then the, the endospore is released. So this is not something that an endos a cell makes, you know, for fun. This is not reproduction. This is about survival. The spore will, again, survive for a long, long time. And then it will, um, it may come back to life. And this is what we call germination. Okay, sporulation is the forming of the endospore, as germination is when the spore starts growing again. Now, interestingly, microbiologists call the cell that is not an endospore, the cell that is growing and thriving, they call it the vegetative cell. So it may sound a bit weird, but keep it in mind. So spore, when it germinate, then it becomes a vegetative cell, which is actually a good thing for the cell. And um, we are kind of finishing up the, um, the inside of the prokaryotic cell. Now we are going to talk about the plasma membrane, which is very, very similar to the plasma membrane of the eukaryotes. But just a reminder, so there are these... Um, uh, lipids called phospholipids. So phospholipids have what we call a um, polar head, which is the negatively charged phosphate group, and the nonpolar tail, which are fatty acid chains. So that means that the phospholipids can kind of interact with both aqueous and or you know, polar and non-polar environments. So plasma membranes in both prokaryotes and eukaryotes contain what we call a phospholipid bilayer. So the, there are two layers of the phospholipid molecules. The polar heads are pointing outside and inside the cell, and the uh, fatty acid chains are pointing towards each other, which means that the plasma membrane, per se, the filling is very... Uh, fatty, which means it's very hydrophobic, and that has importance, you know, when we talk about membrane transport. So we have the phospholipids, and we also have proteins. Proteins are an, an important part of any plasma membrane. Some of them are completely uh, across the membrane. That's what we call integral proteins. And some of them are attached more to the outside or the inside, and those are called peripheral proteins. Something that is different in prokaryotes versus eukaryotes is that prokaryotes don't have cholesterol in their membrane. Eukaryotes have cholesterol in the membrane. And if we look at the um, different um, you know, ways of how substances are transported across the membrane, the mechanism pretty much the same as they are used in eukaryotic cells. We have active transport and passive transport. And I should start with passive, which is a transport that doesn't require energy. 
substances moving following their concentration gradient from a high amount to a lower amount. Um, it can be of different kinds. Simple diffusion is when they just cross the membrane. These tend to be smaller and hydrophobic molecules, such as gases, oxygen, carbon dioxide, could be also cholesterol. Um, water can sneak through. It's not hydrophobic, but it can sneak through. Um, then we have facilitated diffusion, which is also passive, also follows the uh, concentration gradient from high to low, but it requires some kind of channel or carrier. Um, these are mostly small but polar molecules, think amino acids or sugars and so on. And a special case of diffusion is os osmosis, which is the diffusion of water. Then we have active transport. Active transport requires energy because it requires an active pumping against a gradient. So this would go from low to high. And um, the, um, the, the carriers or the transporters are often called pumps. They require to be, you know, again, powered with energy. That's uh, ATP. We are going to learn more about the ATP and metabolism chapter. Um, other active uh, transport, which is only in eukaryotes, so I don't know what's in the list here, is engulfment. So that would be when you are, uh, think about, you know, white blood cell engulfing a microbe, phagocytosis, so that is also an active transport. Now prokaryotes, particularly bacteria, have a very core cool mechanism to transport substances, and this is called group translocation. And this is mostly for sugars. So what they do is this, they kind of cheat the system. Let's say that if you have a lot of sugar, glucose outside the cell, so you have a gradient, and glucose starts coming in through the, um, through the membrane, probably using a uh, facilitated diffusion or some kind of transporter. So if sugar is going in, glucose is going in, then you're going to have less glucose outside. So the, the, the gradient is going to become smaller and that usually slows down the transport. But in the case of group translocation, what happens is as soon as the glucose enters the cell, it is converted into something else. And it's usually adding like a phosphate group. So now you don't have glucose, you have glucose 6-phosphate. It's still glucose, but it has a phosphate attached to it. And what this means is that now the, the gradient of glucose is still large because you have basically hidden the, uh, the glucose. So again, group translocation is a special um, mechanism of transport across the membrane, which is typical of um, prokaryotes, bacteria only, mainly for sugars. And I'm going to stop here because the next um, structure to discuss is the cell wall, and that requires you know time and detail, and I want to have all your attention. So until uh, the next time, part two. Thank you.